Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. I'm Blois Olson, your host for April 20. 20- third 2023 this week we are going to talk taxes it is tax week and taxes are a big part of the minnesota legislature does minnesota have a tax strategy historically what has the tax strategy been why has it worked and what should the tax strategies and considerations be going forward coming out of this legislature we'll talk to to policy experts and Revenue Commissioner Paul Markwart. After this message from Minnesota Corn, it is spring and it is time to plant our corn. But as we wait for soil temperatures to rise and fields to dry out, we have to remember that sustaining Minnesota's agricultural community is important. The Sustainability Minute brought to you by Minnesota Corn really You think about spring and the weather, and then you think about feeding folks with corn, and you think about cleaner fuels. After all, it's cleaner fuels that help our air quality all summer, powered by Minnesota corn. And when you think about sustaining the fields, nobody has a greater interest in sustaining healthy soil than farmers, including corn farmers across Minnesota. So As you're thinking about the floods and the water, have your thoughts with farmers to make sure that they can plant early so that prices remain stable for all consumers. And it's Minnesota Corn who invests in research on soil health to make sure that our soils are healthy, that our environment stays clean, and that we understand the impacts, not just of climate, but also of agriculture and the local economy. After all, it's Minnesota corn growers who feed and fuel Minnesota cleanly. This message brought to you by Minnesota Corn. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Next guest here on Sunday Take is Eric Harris Bernstein. He joins me now. Thanks for joining me. Hi, boys. Um, thanks for having me. Great to be here. You're the policy director for We Make Minnesota, a progressive coalition. Uh, And as we talk taxes this week, I know earlier in the week, uh, We Make Minnesota had a news conference. I know uh, some of your coalition members uh, and the group has really been driving at some different tax policy here in Minnesota. Can you kind of lay out what you're trying to achieve this legislative session? Uh, Sure. Well, I think, you know, our coalition's perspective is that the money we raise and spend in taxes um, does a lot of good for the state that Minnesota has uh, for a long time had a strategy of um, investing in Minnesotans and investing in strong education, um, communities, healthcare, um, just sort of supporting folks so that they can prosper. Um, And, you know, we generally support that. I think this session, there was a lot of talk about some large tax cuts um, for, uh, you know, wealthier retirees. Um, and we did some work, you know, sort of showing our um, our disagreement with that idea and why that wasn't the right uh, direction to take our state and our state's tax code. Um, we've also been um, supportive of a couple of, um, as, you know, supportive as I would say most Minnesotans are, <laughs> Um, of raising taxes on very high income earners and uh, multinational corporations uh, in a couple of proposals. Um, Those are currently included in the House um, tax bill, um, you know, but it's obviously hard to say what all is going to shake out, um, you know, from from final negotiations. One of the things about Minnesota is that we've, you know, historically had a fairly progressive tax system. Uh, Has that changed? Has the economy changed so that that's changed? Why Why do you guys feel like we need to, you know, be even more progressive or add layers of taxes um, during this time? And I ask that because, you know, obviously with a surplus, um, you know, which was derived from various reasons, the federal government, tax collections, various things, there there is this kind of discussion amongst folks like, what how much money is enough money how do you think through the policy of new taxes there's obviously all the other proposals on the table like metro-wide sales tax sales taxes are not seen as progressive how do you look at it either from a holistic or a macro standpoint 
Yeah. Um, couple, couple questions, uh, wrapped up in that one. So maybe I'll, I'll start yeah. and just, yeah, you know, the, probably, um, the best way to measure, um, you know, how much a state is raised, uh, you know, taxing and spending is as a share of the economy. Um, and in Minnesota, we have seen the share of the total state economy that we raise and spend in taxes decline. Um, and we have seen, you know, relatively lower pay for public sector workers, smaller budgets um, for schools, for higher education. We've seen um, big dips in infrastructure spending at various points. And so from a very high level standpoint, I think we would see say, that or I would say that, um, you know, our, our public spending is is declining um, on the question of um, progressivity of the tax code, which is, you know, how much do rich um, wealthier people pay versus how much do lower income people pay. Um, we do have a more progressive tax code um, than other states, um, but we still have a tax code where higher income people pay a, a smaller share of their income in total state and local taxes um, than uh, lower income people do. Um, and so, you know, there's a conversation I think to be had about what is the right mix of more progressive sources of, of revenue, like the income tax, um, and, you know, other sources of revenue that are broader, like the sales tax, which you mentioned, which I will say that's a regional proposal. So, you know, there is like this kind of technical yeah. question about the state budget versus, you know, local budgets. Um, but yeah, um, so we, you know, we have our, pro- our tax code has gotten more progressive over time. And I think that is uh, one goal of tax policy. But most broadly, and this is kind of to come back to where I started, the thing that's important about taxes are the things that they pay for. Um, and the way that they structure our society so that, you know, uh, everyone has economic opportunity, quality education, that we can all drive to work and to see our families on, you know, good roads or, you know, in good buses. Um, and so I think our primary guiding star, North Star, if you will, is just that we are raising revenues that are adequate to fund that, you know, strong society and strong investments in Minnesotans, which has been our state's, you know, calling card for decades. My guest is Eric Harris Bernstein. He's a tax policy and policy director of We Make Minnesota, a progressive group. Eric, as you um, as you think about this, and I think of these in in conversations I have with everyday people, people unlike you and I who don't follow this stuff uh, every day. One of the things that they they talk about is value, value for their taxes, um, and as they've seen things kind of go up over time, so whether it's property taxes, whether it's income taxes, and yet they, you know, they don't feel like maybe their schools have um, the results they want. Or in other places, like whether it's transit or state grants, that they feel like the value is there. And I'm, I want to focus not on kind of the polarizing conversation, but kind of the, the acknowledgement or the how do we make some of these programs more cost effective, not to say they don't need less money, but to make the most of the money they have. Do you guys think that through, especially with kind of state public ploy unions or state programs that are funded and to make sure that, you know, let's just say the administrative cost is lower in administering something. So maybe it gets to the intended recipient uh, more efficiently. I, yeah, I appreciate that question, Blois, and uh, I do think it's a really important topic. And I want to reassure you and your listeners that you know, even you know, groups like mine that are 
you know, labeled as progressive. Um, I would just call us pragmatic, but um, progressive is fair. Um, you know, that uh, that we just want more revenue all the time, that we want to spend more money. And, and that's not at all how I feel about it. I am very concerned and people I work with and, you know, our different um, unions that are in some cases public sector, very concerned about the value that Minnesotans get for the dollars that they pay. And um, I do think that there are, you know, lots of ways um, the state uh, has become accustomed to spending money that I think are, you know, less efficient. I think for me, um, the privatization of public services is a big cost, uh, is a big is a big uh, source, sorry, of um, higher public sector costs. Um, when we do things through private insurance companies or through, um, you know, pharmaceutical, you know, PBMs, um, there's a lot of additional costs that that creep into systems that, you know, um, simpler publicly administered systems are typically more cost efficient when it comes to providing, you know, basic public services. Um, so that's that's one part of it. Um, and I do think that you're right um, that there is, um, you know, there are undoubtedly a lot of people in Minnesota who feel that they're not quite getting all of the value. But I would also say that we do have higher median incomes in Minnesota. Um, we have a much more stable um, economy. When you look at, you know, uh, good quarters and bad quarters for sort of for the country, Minnesota doesn't always have these like huge growth spikes like some other states do, but we also weather recessions exceptionally well. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the strength of the investments that we make in a, you know, kind of collective well-being. So it's a challenge for advocates like me of, you know, public sector investment um, to show the value. But I do believe the value is baked very strongly into a state that has some of the lowest poverty in the nation, the lowest unemployment rates. Um, like I said, a very stable, you know, sort of um, economic growth patterns, life, long life expectancy and other things like that. My response would be, you know, when we talk about competitiveness, if you have a business in Minnesota and you're experienced here in Minnesota and their economies are shrinking and their growth has been very stagnant, if not negative. And so the, you know, the idea that, you know, keeping our taxes in check is you know the the path to prosperity we just haven't seen it because we have been on the path to prosperity and we have you know done that by responsibly raising revenue where we need it sorry for a long answer no that's okay these are not light topics they are not soundbite topics and this is not a soundbite show so eric harris bernstein from we make minnesota thanks for joining me on sunday take my pleasure thanks for having me Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Next guest here on Sunday Take is Mark Haverman. He's the executive director of the Minnesota Center for Fiscal Excellence, a long-standing organization that focuses on tax policy and government spending. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, boys. Tell me what the Minnesota Center for Fiscal Excellence is and kind of how you view your role and your work in Minnesota state tax policy. Yeah, so we're a... Uh tax policy research and public finance education organization. This is our 97th year of existence uh, this year. Um, 
so we provide a lot of uh, comparison studies, analyses, and try to inject good information into the legislative process and discussions of tax policy. Uh, the niche we play, I think, is a little different. Um, typically, we don't get involved in levels of taxation or levels of spending discussions because our organization was founded on the idea that citizens get to make the call of how much government they want through their elected officials. What we've always been about is trying to make sure that the tax policy that supports the spending is uh, adheres to good principles of, of tax policy and that the spending that's done is efficient, transparent, and does what it's supposed to accomplish. Mark, as you look at that view and that role, um, one of the questions I get often is we have this surplus in the state right now, and there's new taxes and fees and revenue being proposed. And, you know, I'm, I've kind of labeled this, this era of transition and uncertainty in Minnesota. And um, when, when you look out about policy or the track record of the state, um, once the elected officials and the citizens kind of choose whatever route they take this year, is there a way to look out a few years and see either from history, research, or otherwise, the way in which the state will um, be set up fiscally? Well, that's a that's an interesting question, and there are you know, I think it's important to look at both how we how much we tax and how we tax. And as I said, how much we've always been a high tax, high service state. It's been in our DNA for a very long time, and so part of the answer to your question is sort of how that whole issue, more of a political issue, sets up in the result of the session. Um, the issue of how we tax is an interesting one because I think when we look at our current situation, how we've evolved, um, we continue to be, I think there are two sort of distinguishing features about our tax system. Uh, the first is our tremendous reliance on individual income taxation, both individual and corporate. Um, you know, our marginal rates are among the highest in the nation. That can be a little bit deceiving, uh, but those advertised rates do stand out. And that has potential implications for uh, having capital and talent look at us going forward. Um, the progressivity of our individual income taxation is also a distinguishing feature and, and our dependence on it. Uh, we've always been among the top five in the nation, but interestingly, we've never been more reliant on income taxes in the state's history nor have we ever been more reliant on the highest income earners in the state's history. So, you know, when we look at that and how that may materialize going forward, that suggests to us that we have to exercise a little caution in, in respect to the, the balance that's in the system that we have right now. And uh, especially as we continue to become potentially more and more dependent on that uh, highest level of uh, in individual income taxation in the state, um, what the implications are for uh, issues of uh, migration and so forth. And obviously there's a lot of uh, debate about that, but um, you know we've, we've played this card a lot and I think it's a, a bit of a cause for uh, attention in terms of how, how far we can push that lever since we, we do compete with other states, we have open borders and we have to pay attention to those issues. Mark Haverman's my guest. He's the executive director of the Minnesota Center for Fiscal Excellence. And we're talking tax policy, as is the topic this week on Sunday Take. Mark, you raised something that 
um, you may be one of the few organizations or people that has this kind of perspective uh, based historically, uh, which is since the center's been around since the 1920s, um, and Minnesota, and this is a time when we're more reliant on income tax. Was there a time, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 50s, where we did see that growth, where the country saw that growth, where the middle class really emerged, where, you know, that tax policy could be um, learned from uh, in this session, in this dynamic? Well, certainly many years ago at the time of the first Minnesota miracle, as it's called, you know, demographics were in our favor. Yep. Um, We had a a large workforce and the uh, dependency ratios, the, you know, the number of seniors to the number of working people were definitely in our favor. We had a lot of tailwinds going on at the time. Um, those issues are changing. That the demographics are changing and um, it just creates a, a different environment for thinking about uh, individual income taxation going forward. Um, there's uh, uh, a role of the role of progressivity and fairness are essential uh, to our tax system and our our approach to taxation in the state always has been, always will be. But uh, there are some other things that we need to pay attention to, and other tax principles that we need to pay attention to. And sometimes we get concerned that it's all about progressivity when we should be paying attention to balance and efficiency and administrative ease, which are no less important to a good tax system. As we wrap here, Mark, um, in the final weeks of the legislative session, what are your concerns? What should listeners be watching for when it comes to tax policy that comes out of this session? Well, the biggest concern that we have is um, the ambition that is likely to uh, materialize has two dimensions to it. There's the a significant attempt to, or, or expectation to expand government services, and at the same time, um, uh, pr- uh, continue on the historical miracles, Minnesota miracles idea of equalization across the state. Those are two big ideas, and attempting to do both at the same time is a challenging task. Uh, it, you know, it's been pointed out many times that state aid to local governments has been largely stagnant for 20 years. Well, there's a reason for that. The state has its own growing obligations to pay for at the same time. And so you have this situation where we're asking a lot of the state's fiscal system to do both things at the same time. and that is something I think we need to pay attention to. The other thing I guess I would say is uh, the the ever more dependence on higher income earners uh, is not the most uh, stable base on which to support a lot of this expansion of activity. Um, We do an individual income tax comparison study every couple of years. And if a single million dollar uh, married household would leave the state, 32 new families at the $75,000 income level would be needed to make up the lost tax revenue. And already about 25% of the adults in the state are off the income tax rolls. And with the efforts being made to um, you know, address child poverty, which is a, obviously a very good thing, and uh, 
uh, deal with economic inequality, it's very likely as a result of those credits, even more of that uh, tax base is going to go off the income tax rolls. So again, I think it's a call to uh, think strategically about diversifying our, uh, our revenue system in a, in a stronger way. Still be <clears throat> pay attention to the historical roots of our state and the, as I said, the DNA that we have in terms of making sure we have a strong um, social welfare system that uh, benefits uh, all of Minnesotans. Mark Averman, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. When we come back, Commissioner Paul Markwart, his role and change in role moving from legislator to commissioner. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to the Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Final interview this week on Sunday Take is with Commissioner Paul Marquardt. He's the Revenue Commissioner for the state of Minnesota, but he's also a former representative and a former tax chair and understands taxes as well as anyone in the state, and I'm happy to have him here. Commissioner, thanks for joining me. Well, great to be with you. Thank you. So let's just start with, um, you know, when you... Uh, decided to become a commissioner after you didn't run again and what what your thoughts were from moving from you know a longtime leader on tax policy in the state to a commissioner uh, and and what you and the governor talked about before you took on the job well I you know I thought I had retired after 22 years in the legislature uh, but uh, really, when this opportunity came up, it allowed me to continue my public service. You know, I'd been elected service for 35 years, a teacher for 40 years. So public service has been my life. And so uh, for the governor, lieutenant governor, to give me that opportunity to continue that uh, was a great opportunity. And also the ability to work uh, with Governor Walz, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan's administration. I uh, watched them in the previous four years, very impressed with the very difficult job they had to do and how they successfully navigated through all of that. And so to have the honor to be able to work uh, in the Walls administration was another huge uh, plus for everything. And, you know, as you mentioned with the taxes, uh, the Department of Revenue as the tax chair, and I think and 18 years out of my 22 years were uh, on the tax committee, I you know, was able to work with the Department of Revenue and was always very impressed with you know, their expertise, their professionalism. And I will say uh, to be able to have that chance and to work in the tax area have been great. And um, uh, my three and a half months here at the Department of Revenue has only reinforced my great respect for the the great staff here at the department. So, uh, you know, have a chance to do that uh, was great. Now, as the tax chair, uh, I didn't, you know, when we implemented things, I didn't worry all that much about how in the world the Department of Revenue was going to <laughs> administer that. You know, yeah. you have something and the Department of Revenue can just do it. Now I look and I say, oh my goodness, what? I can't believe these crazy bills now the legislature is passing out. <laughs> Not really, but I, now you have to look at um, you know how things are going to be administered. I, I'm just taking a totally. I'm on the other side of the table, so to speak. And while the Department of Revenue, we take very seriously our responsibility to implement the goals and priorities of the governor and the legislature. We have to also make sure we're doing it in a way 
that best serves our taxpayers in the state of Minnesota. So I'm always very concerned to make sure, uh, since we have a voluntary compliance, basically tax system, we've got to make sure everything we're doing is easy to understand, simple enough that taxpayers can navigate this with as as pain-free as possible. And, And that's always the goal now as I'm kind of looking at things with a different lens. Commissioner, um, uh, you know, as you as you talk through that process, taxes are one of those issues that you can imagine my email box, my the callers, the the texters to the radio station. I always have an opinion on taxes. It's one of the issues that, you know, consistently in my 25 years of in this role has 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 had elicited opinions when you're. When you're at the legislature and you decide to hear a tax bill or you're putting together a tax bill, what what goes into that? Is it philosophical? Is it we're going to need more revenue? Is it, you know, for instance, this year, obviously, there's been some proposals floated around finding ways for sustainable transportation funding with the idea that gas tax revenue is declining with EVs and less miles driven. Um how do you look at it? How does it interplay? Because like, a, you know, whether it's a family budget or a business budget, you always have to look at the revenue picture before you can look at the spending picture in my mind, or um, does it happen in a cycle or is there kind of some synchronization along with spending? Well, I mean, back, for example, I was tax chair or, you know, even as the governor is preparing uh, his budget this year, you know, a major goal for Governor Walls and Lieutenant Governor Flanagan is to make the state of Minnesota the best state in the nation for kids. And one big part of that is eliminating child poverty. And so a big push, a top priority this year is going to be a, a child tax credit, which will reduce child poverty by 25%. That in the governor's bill, it's $1.1 billion dollars this child tax credit, and there's also a child independent care credit and other things. And so you start out with your priorities. I mean, it, what is it in the large picture that you really want to accomplish uh, for the state? Uh, and then uh, you look at what you need to make that happen. I mean, that's always the case. I mean, too many times people say they look at taxes and they only see one side of the coin, it's just the taxes. But the most important thing is we have revenue, the Department of Revenue collects revenue to fund the state of Minnesota, the very important services that we need for our high quality of life. And there's always two sides to that. And, you know, people look this year and they say, well, you've got a $17.5 billion surplus, but we know only about a third of that, five to six billion of that is ongoing. And, and so when you look at kind of the needs over the last 20 years that have been shortchanged, that five or $6 billion really doesn't go that far. And if you've got to look for uh, revenues at that point, sustainable revenues that will make sure you can have sustainable investments, that's always part of the equation. One thing there, my guest is Commissioner uh, Paul Marquardt. He's Commissioner of Revenue in the state of Minnesota. He's a longtime legislator before that, including being tax chair. One of those things is, and this is going to feel wonky, um, but I've been begging to ask this question for a few weeks. When you talk about that child care tax credit, uh, 
and it being a billion dollars to the state. Um, you know, tax cuts are one thing. Tax credits are another thing. Um, I'm guessing this is staff and you've learned it over the years, but um, how do you account or calculate what who's going to take advantage of that tax credit versus maybe people who aren't? You know, like, for instance, do 80% of the people claim it? Do 70%? Because I believe that tax credits are, are less likely to be claimed than a tax cut, which is automatically calculated? Well, that's a great question and a huge issue. And, you know, you asked what was one of the things I talked about uh, as I, uh, you know, during the process with Governor Walls, Lieutenant Governor Flanagan, and one of the things was tax equity reform. And you, you got that exactly right. I mean, there are a lot of programs that we have that people aren't taking advantage of, and we've got to find out why that is and do better outreach. For example, uh, last year, when we were looking at moving the renter's refund to the income tax form, we found out there's over 100,000 people, according to the Department of Revenue estimate, that qualify for the program, but for one reason or another, does not take the benefit. And so, yes, that is always a concern. And we've got to make sure that uh, we get that information out. And, you know, one of the main things that the Department of Revenue is doing, and we're going to even be doing more, is outreach. I mean, how do we get to those that may not have access to a tax preparer, whatever that might be, and make sure they're, you know, you've got laws in place. We want folks to be able to benefit from those, uh, from those programs. Commissioner, uh, as we look at the final weeks of this legislative session, uh, your former colleagues in the House and friends in the Senate have thrown out some various ideas from a fifth tier to those kinds of things. Um, You've negotiated with this administration. The administration has previously kind of boasted about no vetoes, obviously with the hat trick of DFL power right now. We have uh, a dynamic that is... um, you know, less likely to have kind of leverage, strong leverage or lines in the sand. Um, Is there a number you're trying to get to or is it policy related or is it a blend of the the two as you finalize these negotiations? One of the first big hurdles have been cleared, you know, back in March, uh, the governor and the House and Senate leadership came up with, you know, what we call global targets. And uh, those usually are not done, in my experience, in 22 years in the legislature, till probably that last week or literally the last few days of the session. Uh, But uh, being able to have a trifecta uh, has allowed that. So that first step is already done. So when these bills now, the tax bills, for example, uh, get passed off the House floor and get passed off the Senate floor uh, and go into conference, we immediately have that global number. And we know in the tax area, uh, agreed on was $3 billion of tax cuts, the first biennium, which would be the largest tax cut in the history of this state. So that's the number we're going to be uh, working with. And I tell you, it's been an honor. It's been hugely enjoyable, if that's a phrase, to be able to work on behalf of the governor on the tax bill, but to also work uh, with the tax chairs, Chair Rest and Chair Gomez and their committees, 
And, you know, I've always thought when we get into this negotiation and working together is you've got to make sure everybody gets their top priority. So it's a win, win, win. And if we do that, um, you know, the state of benefit, uh, state of Minnesota will benefit from that. So it's, uh, I, I'm looking at this being a much different process than we've seen uh, over the last few years. As we finally wrap here, there's been a couple positions that are out there uh, from the governor. And obviously you represent the governor on these. One was, you know, elimination of most of the social security tax, which by the way, is the most common question I get right now, wherever I go is, Elimination on taxes on Social Security. Um, the governor stated his position. Um, that's one piece. The House has put in this idea of a fifth year. They seem to be an outlier there. Are those positions um, that when you talk about top priorities, are those the kinds of things you're talking about? Is those are the positions and therefore, you know, that's kind of our top priority? Or or again, is it is there some bartering here at the end that you imagine? Well, no, there's always bartering. And, you know, uh, the governor has made it very clear in the tax area, you know, with this goal of making Minnesota the best state in the nation for kids, that the child tax credit is a huge priority, though the one-time rebate's another big priority. But, you know, looking at Social Security and, uh, you know, you've got differences between the governor's approach right now and in the house and the Senate will be coming out with their bill. Uh, but uh, the governor makes significant cuts to social security benefit taxes. In fact, uh, his proposal would either completely eliminate taxes on social security uh, or make cuts for 90% of all recipients. And furthermore, the governor understands that Seniors also care about other things. So he's got property tax relief that allows seniors to stay in their homes. Uh, investments in health care. So seniors have affordable, top-notch health care when they need it. But the most important thing for a senior citizen, and I'm a senior citizen, by the way, <laughs> uh, the most important thing uh, for me, and I know others, is the well-being of their kids and grandkids. And the governor and lieutenant governor's budget uh, that is their top priority is improving the well-being uh, for families and their kids and so forth. So I think the governor's plan for senior citizens overall is very good, very comprehensive, and is going to benefit uh, senior citizens in a great way. You, you bring up kind of the last point, which... Um you know, is is subject of debate right now uh, with your former colleague, Pat Garofalo and others, which is, does tax policy matter when it comes to people either staying in Minnesota or coming to Minnesota? Do you have real research on either one of those pieces or are we in the anecdotal phase of just kind of philosophical thoughts? Because it, it, it has increased as our population has declined. You know, you, you always have to look at that. You know, is tax a policy an issue and considered? Absolutely. Uh, but we know it's just one of many. And I actually uh, have a lot of studies on migration and so forth. And uh, it's all over the board. And in fact, uh, our demographer and house research did a study a few years ago 
And people talk about, you know, senior citizens leaving the state uh, over Social Security or other things. But what we know is that three quarters of our out-migration are people ages 18 to 24. It's those students leaving uh, to go to another college and not coming back. And so when we emphasize uh, making things tax-friendly for families and, and young people and so forth, that is very effective, hopefully, in stemming that tide. But no, you always have to look at your tax policy for those type of concerns. But uh, there's nothing conclusive that that alone is ever a reason why people are uh, would migrate uh, out of the state. Commissioner Marquardt, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much. When we come back, this week's take. The pot bill is up on Monday in the House. Will it have the votes in the Senate? I'm Blois, and this is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. This week's take is short because, after all, we've heard a lot today on taxes. And wherever you stand on taxes, I think it's important that you are mindful that taxes, like many other topics, are complex. There isn't just one way to look at taxes. It's multidimensional. And as we are a state in transition, I urge everyone in this take to be mindful that just because you have one view on taxes, consider all that this state has given you. And on the other hand, this state needs to consider the value it's providing to its citizens now in taxes. Taxes are a factor in migration. They're also a factor in quality of life. And this week, be mindful that in the last few weeks of the legislature, no matter what side you're on, there's somebody who either disagrees or has a different idea. That's the take this week. I'll be with Vanita all week, Monday through Thursday at 620. And next week, we'll dig further into the final issues of the session. I'm Blaise Olson. That's the Sunday Take. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 